game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Played list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors, Chris Allen and a- a- Adam. Alright, everybody, Wilkins. welcome back. I'm Chris Allen, the host of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast, and this is episode 26, if I'm not mistaken. And we're here with, well, I mean, it's easier for me to explain, not really explain who we have, but what he's done. So if you happen to follow the 444 Fantasy Football uh, tweet, or, uh, a Twitter account and you see all of the funny tweets with all the rhymes and whatnot kind of introducing some of the articles that are being put out on a weekly basis or actually daily basis uh, one of them actually being mine a humble brag but uh, actually the man behind most of the social media posts that you'll see for 444 is Jeff Miller that we have here with us tonight so while Jeff is not apparently rampaging all of his dynasty leagues he is also in charge of the 444 fantasy account so Jeff uh, appreciate you for taking Taking the time to sit down with us tonight, and how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing pretty good. When you're when you're sitting on the throne as a fantasy god, life is life is generally good for you. I I, I don't know what that's like personally, but I'm hoping that between uh, you and Adam and uh, our discussion here this evening, you can kind of uh, maybe put me in a in a good spot, and hopefully I can. Uh, you know, I can I can get to that uh, I can get to that point here at some point here in the near future. Not there yet, but I, I think tonight will definitely put me on that path. So, and of course, uh, before we get into our discussion tonight, I have to give some props to uh, my co-host Adam, and I know that he's in actually a fairly decent spot in a few of his leagues, which we also discussed tonight. But Adam, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well, man. I'm super excited for this episode because the three of us, well, Jeff's teams are already amazing, but the two of us get to make our teams better while we try to help the listeners make their teams better as well. We're in that crucial point of the year where if you're doing nothing, uh, you're going to not be very productive going forward, whether it be rebuilding or succeeding now. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, uh, if you guys haven't gotten this already for the folks listening tonight, in terms of what our goal is this evening, in that for most of the shows that you've listened to us uh, speak through over the past, I don't know, how 20-some-odd episodes that we've done, there have been specific topics and or situations that we've tried to impress upon everybody that handle the various aspects of Dynasty. But now we're getting into week 11 and we can see or we can we understand that a lot of folks are in these types of situations that we'll discuss. I mean, they might be sitting at, uh, I don't know, uh, Nine and one, eight and two, you know, somewhere in there, and they're basically they're they're locked to get into the playoffs. So, as a dynasty owner, how do you approach making sure that 
you can secure the championship for your league. Similar case, if you're kind of in the middle of the road, what decisions do you have to make in order to say that, well, I think I can make a push, or your roster really isn't, you don't feel comfortable with making a push, so you might want to make some trades, and then you're trying to look for 2019. Or, third case, which is definitely not one that we all look forward to, but it definitely is a reality for some folks in that you're just not going to make it this year. I mean, too many injuries. You picked a few players, and you know things broke the in the wrong you know the wrong direction, and it's just you're in full roster re- rebuild mode. So all of these situations we're going to talk about tonight, and how at least from our own personal situations and our own personal uh, teams and rosters, we're going to talk about some specific players, but really try and dive into not just the practical application for those specific players, but also our processes and some and try and get through some generalizations on how we would approach making moves on some of those players so to start things off i mean we're gonna let our guests talk first because i as i mentioned earlier uh, jeff seems to be just absolutely crushing it this year so from a positive situation in terms of the fact that jeff you're i guess moving towards being able to definitely compete i mean you're already it sounds like you're a shoe-in for the playoffs in most of your leagues so how are you planning to move or make any changes to your roster, if any, in order to address the upcoming playoffs? Yeah, so I'm fortunate this year with uh, all of my non-salary cap leagues where I'm pretty much in contention in all six uh, and in really good shape in most of them. I, I guess the first thing I do, especially in teams where I'm kind of teetering on the edge, and I have one of those where I'm in the playoffs now, but it's a question of how strong am I once I am actually there. So the first thing I always do is I kind of look at the rosters of the other teams that are in contention. You know, am I really, am I, le- am I a legit contender or do I just have a good enough record to get in the playoffs? Cause those are two different things. You know, if you're the five seed, well, you're good enough to be in the playoffs. But if like the top three seeds are all stacked, then really what's the point? So, you know, there, there are definitely instances or, or times that, that I'll look at other rosters and I'll make a decision not to make that one big trade to try to contend because maybe it's not enough. And, and sometimes I, in those spots, maybe I'll even try to sell off a little bit and maybe, you know, try to still sneak in the playoffs and maybe I get lucky and win a couple matchups and get my entry fee back or something. But I'm a little bit less concerned about that and, and I'll try to work towards the next year. So that's one of the first things I do. And I do that in all of my leagues. I think it's more important in leagues where you're wondering whether or not you should be a buyer. Now, if you have a roster where clearly you should be a buyer, you're, you're in a strong position, you're ready to make it into the playoffs. Adding kind of that one big piece isn't necessarily always the best plan either. I'll definitely uh, am willing to do that. Uh, there's a few years ago that I added, well, Calvin Johnson's last season where I made a big trade and added Calvin Johnson. And he didn't do great down the stretch, but he was an upgrade over the receiver I replaced. And I won a title in that league, and, and I gave up a first-round pick to do it. And I was terrible the next year when Johnson retired, and I didn't have my first-round pick, and that wasn't great. But, you know, I'm willing to make those moves. I'm willing to be aggressive when there's a spot to do it. But needless aggression isn't always a great thing either. You know, if you're talking about upgrading from Jarvis Landry to Julio Jones, so we're talking, you know, maybe five or six points a game, whatever that is, that's that looks great on paper. But if you go back through all of your leagues and you look at every single matchup that you lost by five points or fewer, it's really it's not that many. There's not that many wins that come by that small of a margin of victory. I wish I could remember who wrote the article. I think it was on DLF. I can't remember who it was. It's been a few years ago, but somebody did just that. And at the end of the day, those trades for those upgrades like that, generally speaking, just aren't worth it. 
Uh, I mean, does it sting when you lose by two points in the semifinals? And the guy, of course. I mean, yeah. But hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So um, I, I try to strike, I guess I try to strike a balance. I know it's kind of maybe a wishy-washy fence-sitting answer. But, you know, I'll go all in if I feel like I need to. And, and sometimes I'll just dial it back. And really it depends as much on my opponents as it does on me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, that that, def- that does make some sense. And I guess from a from a dynasty perspective, I think that that's the I guess the tack that you want to take when trying to balance your roster. Of course, winning the championship is the, I guess the the ultimate goal, right? But what are you sacrificing in the long term in order to achieve that goal? And so, understanding that, I mean, especially in the example that you just that you just pinpointed was yeah, Jarvis Landry versus Julio Jones. Yeah, I would say that ten times out of ten, folks would say that. Yeah, I want to. I would love to make that trade in order to acquire Julio Jones. But is that really the piece that you need in order to in order to win your championship? And if it's only going to give you a marginal increase in your total output or your fantasy output per game, then really, what are you what are you sacrificing in order to get there? And is it really going to affect you down the line? And yeah, to me, it sounds like. And then, and just thinking off the top of my head, what you would have to sacrifice in order to make that trade would be, I guess, cost prohibitive for what you'd want to do in the in the years like in in the future years. So yeah, I, I can understand that. So I mean, if you make a trade like that and you give up a late first, which is probably which is probably what it takes, then you know maybe you lose out on next year's Calvin Ridley or next year's DJ Moore. And I know that every first round isn't as good as last year's first round, so it's easy to cherry pick. But you know that's that's a that's a pretty big price to pay for a, a pretty for a pretty small upgrade. So I don't know. I, I, I used to be a lot more aggressive about that. You know, over the over time, your strategy kind of changes and ebbs and flows and all of that stuff. And I'm I'm definitely less willing to make those moves than I used to be. In part because of that mystery article that I can't remember anything else about right now. I know it's been like I said, two or three years at least. I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, much less something <laughs> two or three years ago. Uh, and, and then part of it is just this idea that. One of the reasons that my teams are competitive this year is because I really prioritize the idea of making the playoffs every year. And so definitely could you try to go all in for one year and then spend two or three years in a productive struggle to try to do that again? Yeah, that's one way to do it. But I would rather have like a nine-win team every single year than have an 11-win team followed by a three-win team or, or, you know, however it works out. I just, I'm not interested in selling out for a bunch of 30-year-old receivers if, if I can help it. So one of the things I try to do to mitigate that, I'm actually trying to maybe get Antonio Brown in a league right now. Uh, that owner also has Cortland Sutton. And so I've told him, like, if I'm trading for Antonio Brown, I also have to have Cortland Sutton. You know, if I'm going to trade for a 30-year-old guy, I want the 23-year-old guy to come with. Right. And and I'm protecting myself. So if I'm going to give up uh, a high first round pick, which I acquired from another owner previously, uh, it kind of looks locked into the top three. If I'm going to trade that high first round pick and acquire a 30, 30 year old receiver, you know I got to have I got to have something back that will help me down the road. So Jeff, you brought up a great point when you mentioned the Jarvis for Julio deal because I think. At this point in the season with those teams that are certainly in contention, people start looking at that starting roster and they're like, okay, how can I make my starting roster better? So the the first trade that pops out when you have those 10-win teams is, okay, Jarvis Landry isn't really clicking with Mayfield very much right now. 
I need those 10 points to be 16 points. Let me move Jarvis for Julio. Meanwhile, you have Marquise Goodwin getting you two points or something in your starting lineup. So you look at the top end guys first that aren't quite producing for you, but then you realize or you need to realize that you have guys that aren't producing at all. They're almost empty spots in your roster. They're almost uh, roster spot eaters in your starting lineup, and you're forced to start on. Those are the guys that I would really target trying to replace on those 10-win teams because Jarvis is going to get you that 10.4, and where Julio will probably get you that 15.4, you're absolutely right. A lot of your losses aren't coming by five points. However, probably more of your losses statistically are coming by, say, the 15 points that you're getting eaten by starting someone like Josh Doxson or something like that just because you have to. That's the bottom of your roster. So I really like that you brought up that differential between Jarvis and Julio's points per game because you probably have someone scoring less than Jarvis on your roster. And in your scenario of the three scenarios we'll talk about today, you probably should be more inclined to round out the roster because you're already scoring a lot of points. You wouldn't be there if you weren't already scoring a lot of points. You need to score 10, 15 more points, find the weakest link. And then secondly, what I loved about how you presented that is that you don't really want to move Jarvis for Julio. I mean, you're getting a 30-year-old receiver back. Instead, I would be taking some of the older guys on my roster that aren't quite starting where they are, but they're not doing well, and packaging them. So in, in the scenario where you're winning, depth isn't quite as important as it has been the whole season. I mean, statistically, the chances of a player injured decrease every single game, right? Because they haven't gotten injured yet. So with three games left, statistically speaking, you've got three of, well, let's say 13 for the fantasy playoffs to start. You've got only three of 13 games left. So it's okay to start thinning out your roster a little bit. If you can get some rid of some age and package some age together to someone who might be a, a pretender that thinks they're a contender, that's what I would be looking. Yeah, so, I, ha- having a wide receiver on your do. bench, like like a wide receiver who puts up wide receiver four numbers, and he's your wide receiver eight. Like that just doesn't do you any good. Like you're right. never starting him in any scenario. Those are that's a, a great point and something I'd like to to kind of go off of that you just said there where you're talking about maybe trading away some of your older players which seems counterintuitive when you have a playoff level roster Uh, a a real nice thing to do is to go pick at those teams that are fringe playoff guys so like let's say you have four teams that go to your playoffs go to the four seed the five seed the six seed in your league the guys with 500 records or their one win above 500 and 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 make a trade like that. Maybe uh, if Larry Fitzgerald has a nice game this weekend, you like give him an offer for Larry Fitzgerald and say, hey, you know, this maybe help you get into the playoffs. So what you're doing there is you're strengthening your roster and strengthening somebody else's roster, which is how most trades work. At the same time, you're not giving these older guys to your biggest competition. You're not giving them to the guys that you're really competing with. You're giving them to, to teams that are that are in that second or third tier that, yeah, you might have to face them in the playoffs, but are you really worried about a team that's scoring 20 points a game less than you and you give them a small upgrade like that? That's a great way to deal off age because, let's face it, nobody that's 2-8 and eight is making a trade for Larry Fitzgerald. Right. Right? They'd have to be out of their mind. Mm-hmm. So you look at it. You look at a team that's that's five and five or six and four and just on the fringe, 
And that's a lot easier sell without really improving your main competition all that much. Absolutely. And I would just like to add that I understand that it is easy to look at your roster when you have 10 wins and see the guys like uh, Larry Fitzgerald on there. Or uh, me and Chris were discussing Matt Breda. That's an interesting one because he isn't older, but Jarek McKinnon is there and they are going to want to use him. And Matt Breda is doing quite well right now. So that's another player. He might not be older, but you got to look forward into next season and realize this is dynasty still, you know what I mean? You're going for the championship this year, which is great. But if these players are on your bench and their situation is going to get murkier, you still have to look to sell right now, even though it looks nice to have those older guys on your team because you're competing and that just kind of fits together perfectly. I've got Larry Fitzgerald and I'm competing. Makes sense. But really, you still have to get out from under those guys when you can, regardless of record. So I love that you mentioned going to the standings and actually looking to see these are the three teams I want to deal with. I'm not putting Larry Fitzgerald on the trading block, you know, leaving it open to anyone. I sure as hell don't want to give Larry Fitzgerald to the one seed when I'm the two seed, but absolutely going to the four, five, and six seed and looking at their points for maybe and seeing if they're even going to make the playoffs. They might think they're going to make the playoffs, but if you were able to trade Larry Fitzgerald to the sixth seed and then they don't even get into the playoffs, kudos to you. That'd be a great deal. Yeah, so quick question then, to, I guess, to both of you guys from what I'm understanding. So if you are, I guess, trying to move some of those players, and you don't even have to give me specific names or, or whatever, but I guess what are you asking for or what are you trying to target in the on the return? Is it just are you looking for picks in return or are you trying to look for and i guess it might depend on your situation but are you looking or are you looking for maybe fringe players that might be in the developmental stages for 2019 or does it depend on on your situation i it obviously it always depends on your situation but i think you nailed it especially right at the end there the guys i like to target are potential high upside sorts of guys um maybe like a matt Breda who yeah, Jarek McKinnon's coming back next year, and they're already, like, Shanahan's already talking about how he can envision a backfield where they both play. But there's obviously a lot of upside there as well. You know, a lot of people might be scared to trade for him, and in a lot of situations, I would absolutely trade him away. But if you have a team that's already really good, I'm not looking to add players that can't crack my lineup, that there's not a clear path to them cracking, cracking my lineup in the future. So give me a guy like Chris Godwin who's been kind of up and down this year. He's had a lot of like 13 and 14 point games, which, you know, if you're a number one seed, probably not good enough to get in your lineup now, but there's an absolute path to him being good enough to be in your lineup next year. So I look for, I look for guys like that. Maybe Mike Williams. Cause like, uh, uh, cause Terrell Williams is, is a free agent this off season. So maybe he steps up and he has a bigger role, uh, players like that, uh, or, you know, target injured players. I know this is a little higher up the ladder, but a guy like Cooper Cup or Will Fuller, players that, that could definitely help you next year. That's especially if you're talking to fringe playoff teams. You know, if you have a guy who's the fifth seed and he's got Cooper Cup on his, on his roster, he's, he's most likely desperate for help because he's already a fifth seed, so already there's got to be some issue with his roster. You can target guys like that. One other name, by the way, that popped up as as a really good sell right now, if you can afford to lose the depth, is a guy like Mark Ingram. Another one is a guy like Tevin Coleman. I like to target running backs that are going into free agency or that, that have kind of murkier situations 
that uh, that if I'm not really using them, I don't necessarily need them. I'm looking to move them away. I have Ingram on a roster where I have um, Nick Chubb and Dalvin Cook slash Latavius Murray. I have them both, and that's proven to be an RB1 regardless mm-hmm. of who's starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have um, not Melvin Gordon. I have somebody else really good on that roster. I can't remember who off the top of my head. And then I also have Rashad Penny, who, fingers crossed, might do something next year. So I'm looking at Mark Ingram, and he may or may not even start in a given week now that Chubb has the job. Uh, Treat Cohen as my other running back. So there's a guy who's 28. He'll be 29 next season. We don't know where he'll be, yada, yada. Those are the kind of guys that I also like to trade. It doesn't necessarily just need to be a 33-year-old wide receiver or 34, whatever fits he is. But I think in all of that, from both what you and Adam have said, I think the, the common theme is being able to both maximize upside while minimizing risk. And I think that we've had that conversation throughout a number of the episodes, like for this particular podcast, is that while you might want to, while you might be selling off some of those players, understand what you're selling them off for so that you're able to minimize the risk in terms of making that transaction. So regardless of the players that you target and some of those ones that you, uh, that you mentioned, Jeff, I think are absolutely perfect for the, for those situations. But yeah, I think the common theme as always is trying to maximize, maximize upside while minimizing risk. And before we get into the the next part of the podcast, I wanted to provide a little bit of a closing statement, whereas we're always saying on the show to sell when your value is at the peak under any circumstance, and that holds true here as well. If you're in uh, championship contention, sure, don't sell Saquon, of course, but I wouldn't necessarily say Saquon's value is at his peak anyways. I mean, his peak is probably one overall. Don't stop playing just because you're in championship contention. Uh, still wheel and deal. Uh, certainly don't make those trades that make your team worse now. Continue to make your team good now because it's all about winning the championship, absolutely. But just keep your eye on that roster. Don't get complacent and say, I'm going for the championship, so I'm not moving these players. Mm-hmm. If it feels right, move that player you know, and get pieces back that are also going to help you in contention. So that's all I'll say. I mean, if you're going for the championship, best of luck to you. Um, next, we have the middle of the road people, the six seeds that we were just talking about. Um, so I'm four and six in a league, and the roster I feel is pretty good. But four and six is kind of a, a whole different animal because the problem is you may squeak into the playoffs and as Jeff said, he wants to make the playoffs every year. That's because anything can happen in the fantasy playoffs. Uh, you often see the lowest seeded team winning the championship because it's all about end of season schedule. But you have to be careful because let's use a uh, first round pick as the example. If you're four and six and you have your first round pick still, these last three games might not go so well for you, and then you sold away uh, your early first that you thought might have been a later first because you thought you were going to squeak into the playoffs. So I would be really uh, weary on selling my first-round pick if I'm 4-6. and six. Definitely keep that. So that means you have to find different ways because a lot of these teams in contention, the first thing you look at is that first-round pick, and you say it would be really nice if that first-round pick was a player right now. So you'll put your first-round pick on the trading block and you get the most productive player in return. Well, in this case, four and six, you think your team's really good. You've got a good end-of-season schedule. That's all great. But the first should should be off the table. That's going to gain value almost literally every day, as we've seen every year. 
So in this particular four and six team, I've got players like Philip Rivers and Mark Ingram and Larry Fitzgerald, Alshon Jeffrey, but then I also have Devontae Adams, who's pretty much the staple of my team. So as we mentioned, some of those guys, I mean, I'm a huge advocate of trading running backs going into free agency. The thing about the running back position is that they are so team dependent. And a lot of people want to trade for running backs going into a free agency because they've seen Jarek McKinnon, but didn't even play out. So you don't even know if, you know, going into free agency is a good thing. And he went to the best situation available. So I'm sure it could have gone okay, but you trade for Tevin Coleman, hoping that he's going to go to a phenomenal situation next year. And statistically speaking, there's only so many good offensive lines out there that he could go to and then it's got to be a completely vacant spot so now we're talking about maybe four teams so yeah if i'm four and six and competing but mark ingram's not cracking my lineup why not move him with a couple other pieces that i'm about to talk about and get a productive asset in that starting lineup so if i've got something like mark ingram who's sitting on my bench uh, not playing every week because he's not getting the workload we expected. And then you also have Larry Fitzgerald who's screaming in your face that he's got to go, whether you're competing or not. Why not package Mark Ingram and Larry Fitzgerald and, you know, get someone that's going to go into that starting lineup now that can push the next three weeks and even further down that rabbit hole, look for someone that's got a good end of season schedule. That's why tiers are so important instead of ranks. Cause if I have, five players in one tier that means that i'm okay with all five of them but if one of them has a better last three games than the other four this season and i think that i've got a legitimate shot go target that guy that's got those great last three matchups that's in the same tier that you're looking for also philip rivers is a great candidate for trade because i have mitchell trubisky and carson Wentz. you don't need to carry three quarterbacks anymore you don't have buys anymore and He's got to go anyways, you know. In the next couple of years, he's probably going to be out of there. If you could trade away Philip Rivers and, heaven forbid, Carson Wentz or Mitchell Trubisky go down, okay, backtrack, make a trade. Trade for Ben Roethlisberger. Hell, trade for Philip Rivers back. But if you're in super flex and that sixth seed is a, a quarterback away or that fifth seed is a quarterback away, they're going to pay you a lot for Philip Rivers in super flex. And if you were starting someone like some weeks I have to start Marquise Goodwin in this league, and obviously he's not doing much of anything for me. Well, Philip Rivers might be that starter that I'm away playoff contention. So all in all, you can't put all your eggs in one basket when you're four and six because it certainly could go south. It obviously already has in a way, but you still have time to make a push. I think it's real important with teams like that not to overplay your hand. You know, especially if you have a, a quote-unquote underperforming team, if you can point to two or three players on your team that are objectively not doing what they should be doing, um, so what guarantee is there that they're going to suddenly be doing what they should be doing? A guy like Doug Baldwin. I mean, all the talent in the world, theoretically, all the opportunity in the world, um, but it just it hasn't it hasn't worked for him this year. And now there's reports. He says his knee doesn't bother him anymore. Like that's a guy that I can see people saying, well, he's going to score 15 points per game the rest of the year. And maybe he does, but you got to be careful projecting that and then making a trade based on that projection. That's, that's a, that's a difficult spot to put you in. You know, there's six and four teams that are in that same spot too. I have a friend who's maybe in his third ish year or so of dynasty. Now I think, 
and he's a really smart guy um and, but he's you know still working his way through trades and figuring out you know how to manage stuff like this and he has a team that he basically expected to be like a three or four win team this year and he finds himself like as the three seed and he's six and four right now but when you look at his roster it doesn't make a whole lot of sense necessarily and so you have to also be able to do that for guys that are playing better, like way better than expected. Maybe they continue to play way better, but are you really wanting to, to just completely uh, shove aside your what you thought was a rebuild and go for it this year and then find out you were a pretender and now you're really screwed at going into next year? Like that's – on teams like that, if I'm making a trade, I'm not looking for a big splash. I'm looking for small incremental improvements that won't hamstring me next year, especially as it relates to your first-round picks. Because when you're trading a first-round pick and somebody looks at your roster and says, this is a mid-first, you're not getting the most value for that first-round pick right now. This is the wrong time of year to get value for that pick. The right time of year to get value for mid and late first round picks is during the draft or right before the draft. It's in April and it's in May and it's in June. It's not in December. It's not in November because people are looking at they're they're massively discounting it. You the value of those picks relies on draft fever. And for a lot of people, myself included, this next class, eh, maybe not the most exciting class. It's wide receiver heavy. Everybody has running back fever right now. There's not a lot of great quarterbacks. If you're in a super flex or two quarterback league, it's looking maybe even weaker. So right now, especially those mid-first mid first round picks have lost value. I tried trading a, a, a pick that's no doubt 101 in a league, and the guy's like, yeah, I can't pay that because there's no Saquon Barkley. So people are savvy. You know, they're looking at that. Nah, wait till April. Uh, whoever is at the top, they're gonna. People are gonna start treating him like Saquon Barkley. It happens every year. <laughs> so don't don't overplay your hand. Don't mortgage your future. Don't give up value. Uh, another thing that fits in like that, and there's I guarantee there's a lot of four and six teams that have Le'Veon Bell on their roster this year. Le'Veon Bell is a guy right now where we all know that in this offseason, he's going to get the biggest contract ever given to a running back. He's going to get like 25 plus million guaranteed. Wherever he goes, he's going to touch the ball 30 times a game. I don't care if the offensive line isn't good. I don't care if they don't have Ben Roethlisberger. He's touching the ball 25, 30 times a game. He's going to be a top five RB. I mean, he, that, that's, that's, there's a no doubt situation there. And it seems like the Jets and the Colts are kind of the two teams. I'm not sure why the Colts would spend that money when Marlon Mack has looked good, but that's another topic. He, he goes to the Jets. Man, he's a, he's a top five running back. Why would you trade him now when, I mean, is somebody really going to give you a player that's going to help your team that much next year for Le'Veon Bell? Are you really going to do that for a shot at making the playoffs? It just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You, you you have to be careful in those spots. Yeah, I would agree. And it seems like again, when it comes to managing your roster and trying to understand like where you're at, then from what you're talking about, Adam, is that I guess being I don't know, I guess truthful with yourself or trying to be honest with yourself in terms of where your team is at and how it's performing because if you are in the situation where you know you lucked into i don't know not necessarily lucked into but hey tyler boyd actually started to pay off this year Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean look at i mean look at some of the other players that have now just started to pop and like oh yeah you drafted calvin ridley so now you've got a team that's been you know going off week after week and so where but now you have to sit back and really honestly assess your team and say well 
yeah, I'm at six and four, but am I really a playoff contending team? Which, and if you're not, then yeah, just you might have to start making those small incremental moves. And I really like your point, Jeff, in that because you are in that situation uh, where you're at six and four, it does look like you're a playoff team. It's, I guess, really prudent to not show your whole hand and just say, well, I'm just going to sell off everything and then I'm going to be done. You make those incremental moves so that you're not completely sacrificing your entire team or, I guess, your production later on down the line. You make those incremental moves now, and then, yeah, wait until draft season. Wait until the season's over in order to make um, some more of those moves. So I absolutely like that. Uh, do you got anything else, Adam, on your on your middling team? Yeah, I was just going to mention that, Jeff, you're on point today, man, because when I was coming up with um, this concept and then going over it with Chris – the roster I originally had in mind had Le'Veon Bell on it, and it's a middle-of-the-road team. And I think we both agree that you should not give up yet. I mean, you still have three games that you can make something happen, squeak your way into the playoffs, and then anything can happen. So Lev Bell immediately popped in my head. I'm like, man, Lev Bell's been sitting on my bench all year, and I'm middle-of-the-road. I could probably trade Lev Bell and immediately flip that idea because I'm like, Everyone is hating on Lev Bell right now. I was hating on him before any of this happened anyways. And then now he's sat out the whole year. Everybody's mad at him. Well, he almost is a trade for candidate when we get to Chris's section because of what you said. So he's almost the exception. And it kind of sucks because earlier I said, I don't like trading for free agent running backs. You don't know where they're going to go, blah, blah, blah. Well, Le'Veon Bell doesn't matter. I mean, Tevin Coleman's not Le'Veon Bell. So you're going into next year knowing that he's going to get the volume because he's going to get paid. So Lev Bell might be a guy that ends up in Chris's section, but please don't put him in my section because if you're trading Lev Bell now, you're really, you're really selling low. Nobody's going to pay you what he's worth and he could possibly carry you to a championship almost single-handedly next year if you could just wait one more year and that's so i was going to ask that quick question though i mean i haven't seen any trade polls or anything like that or like price checks or anything like that but what is what is bell's price at this point do would you guys have at least a a guess at what you would have to pay in order to get him at this point I have some idea because I have Bell in a league. It's a team where I'm six and four, but it's a really good six and four. I've scored the most points in the league. Um, I'm leading my division. It's two divisions. It's I mean, a team's in great shape. I have Bell. Uh, I've been offered more or less straight up AJ Green for him, which I think is a fair offer. But I mean, if AJ Green doesn't play the next two weeks and the Bengals miss the playoffs and they shut him down, that's a bad deal for me. Like that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff that I'm getting, you know. And like Green would be a pretty big upgrade. I'm starting right now. Um, I, I'm starting DeAndre Hopkins, of course, every week. I'm starting Alshon Jeffrey pretty much every week. I'm starting Stephon Diggs every week. But then for my last two receiver spots, I've got Allen Robinson, Corey Davis, and John Brown, and I'm starting two of those three guys. Which you know, not bad, especially if A Rob is healthy and Davis continues to produce. But I mean, AJ Green would look a lot better there. Yeah, obviously, that would be pretty nice. I've got Larry Fitzgerald on this roster, too. So, you know, that's an attractive option. This is the league where maybe I'm I'm looking for Antonio Brown. And, you know, some of the offers that have been floated is Bell and my f- first-round pick I own, which is pretty well locked into the 103. 
and you know maybe him having Brown and Sutton, but then I'm still kicking something in, mm-hmm. and I just I know that if I wait to trade Brown until August, that uh, that's going to be a heck of a lot better value for me, you know. It, so you know, would Antonio Brown help this roster? Uh, yeah. He's a 10-point improvement over whoever I'd bench for him. That's a lot. That's a significant, significant move. But if I have to give up an additional thing, like a significant additional thing to make that deal happen, I just don't know that I just don't know that it's worth it. You know, I was looking at um, a trade calculator, uh, which which I, I mess around with sometimes, especially like if I'm if I'm trying to have a good starting point because sometimes I find myself overvaluing or undervaluing based on my own, uh, my own assessment of a player versus market value. And the value of Le'Veon Bell was placed pretty much right around Kenny Galladay. Is that a trade you want to make? I like Kenny Galladay. Don't get me wrong, but is that, is that a trade you want to make today? Uh You know, it's, it's Uh just, it's, it's the wrong time to trade him. And I think in reality, it probably costs you more to get him if you're trying to acquire him because he's Le'Veon freaking Bell. Like it, it, we're already the season's already almost over for most teams. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not a great time to trade for Bell. If you didn't do it a month ago, then you just as well. You know, I think the ship has kind of sailed on that one. And I'd like to add something that I forgot to put into my Le'Veon Bell take is that I said this with DJ. I stand by it. I stand by DJ, the what he's been able to do with such a horrible offense. Respect the man for that, but same thing goes for Le'Veon Bell. I said for DJ that a left wrist break is the best thing that could have happened for a right-hand dominant running back in the NFL. He got to rest an entire year, and it did not affect anything functionally for his future. Le'Veon Bell not only rested a whole year, but had no injury to rehab and is arguably better than DJ. So I'm just going to put that out there. I was a Le'Veon Bell hater all offseason, and it goes to show you how much can change over the course of a season. You can be as mad as you want at Le'Veon Bell, but honestly, if you don't own Le'Veon Bell, you kind of want those owners to keep being salty with them because – the more mad they get about Le'Veon Bell sitting out this season, the closer you get to having a probably top five player next year, depending on the landing spot. Just wait till somebody like the Bills throw a ton of money at him. Oh, and he goes yeah. to Buffalo and all of a sudden you can get him for a third round pick. Just wait. Yeah. Like that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff that happens, man. So <laughs> Yeah, that <laughs> I it, by the way, if you're mad at Le'Veon Bell, stop it. If you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at his agent for costing him $16 million. Be mad at the Steelers for, I mean, I don't blame them necessarily, but don't be mad at the player. The player's almost always the last guy to be mad at. This is a guy that's one concussion away from never playing again. It's one knee injury away from never playing again. In 20 years, he's the guy that might have CTE. He's not a billionaire like the owner is. He's not the guy that's making money off of other people like an agent just don't be mad at the player 
No, it's it, just it's 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 terrible. Don't do that. No, it makes it makes no sense. And then it like I don't I don't know what what your guys' take on it. And this is completely aside from our current conversation. Yeah, but since yeah. we're in it, let's talk about it. But seeing the videos today of the players reacting in the locker room and you know yeah. taking all the stuff out of his yeah. out of his locker and taking his shoes and stuff like that, it just seemed like it was just it was already a toxic situation to begin with. And I mean, for me personally, I wouldn't want to be in that environment myself. So. While it's a bad, while it might have been a bad financial decision, what Le'Veon Bell is doing, I think, is solely it's his decision. It's not for us to make, you know, try and make sense of it or anything at all. It's for me. I've always said I, I always try and support the players, and if they're on a quest to in order to get paid and make sure that they have secure money coming in, all the more power to them and do it however they can in order to make that happen. So I'm I'm, a, I'm behind Le'Veon Bell 100%. And that blew my mind, man, because those players understand they've been through their own contracts. I could not believe that. And you pay these agents so much money, whether you think it was a good decision or not, which I don't think it was a good decision. You have to understand that this guy is trying to make his future as bright as possible, especially when he might not remember you know what he did that morning by the end of this. I know I played football, had eight concussions, and I can't remember anything. I didn't get to the pro level. They've been playing their entire lives. They're risking a lot for us to watch them on Sundays. For anyone to be mad at them, I mean, I understand being disappointed because he's the most fun player in the NFL to watch. But come on, man. We're all adults. We all have careers. This guy's doing the best that he knows ill-advised or not and i might add i don't care who scoffs at this Le'Veon bell thinks that he's doing something for the future of the position i don't think it's gonna work but i think it weighs a little that he's got those intentions right yeah if you've been paying attention he's been tweeting every week like giving james connor thumbs ups and like tweeting uh, james connor hand clap emoji and stuff like that he's been supportive of the guy that has probably cost him some money uh-huh. To be to be totally honest, and you know that that might speak to 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 the kind of person Bell is. I mean, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of social things, potentially some racial things. There's a lot of stuff going on with the hate for Bell, and uh, it's it's endlessly frustrating for me. But hey, listen, if there's, I think it came out today or yesterday that he was left like 22 million guaranteed on the table. I think was the offer. Yes. Don't be surprised if he gets 30. And if he gets thirty million guaranteed, then you look at the sixteen he lost this year, and then it becomes only eight. Right. Uh, you know, then maybe it's not as bad of a decision. I, I don't know. I, I I still think his I still think his agent messed up. But you know, all the best to him. Like, if you have a chance to make generational money for your family, uh, you know, it, it, I'm sorry that you know the, somebody listening might only be making forty grand a year or whatever. I'm certainly not a wealthy man. I sell video games on eBay for a living, for God's sake. I make tweets on for four for four. I'm not driving a Ferrari, but I mean, hell yeah, make the money you can make when you can make it. Please yeah. make, yes. make lots of it. I want everybody to make money. Yeah, without question. And I think after after we saw Earl Thomas go down earlier this year, after we saw Des Bryant go down, I mean, just last weekend, I mean, there was no question in my mind that this was like he was not going to be signing that that tender. I, I just I just did not see it happening after we saw these stars that I mean they they held out for as long as they could. They made the decision to come back, and then this is this wound up happening. Yeah, I, I had no hope. I mean, for for him coming back the, this season, and I think he's right for doing that. I think if he yeah at this point yeah I yeah agree, at 100%. this point yeah I think he was right for doing that so all right 
So back to Sorry. the. the... <laughs> Sorry. Oh no no! I, I mean no, it's a, it's I a good. I think it's, no, I think it's a. I think it's a good conversation to have, especially given given the news and especially with the with the dynasty aspect that we can spin with it, like as to right. how folks that own Le'Veon Bell or have them on their on their team rather, I mean how they're going to address that situation going forward. And I think we all have our our own takes on it. I think we all are kind of of the same the same thought process in that. I mean, you're not going to get much for him right now, and uh, it'd be best to, at the very least, hold because you know that if given the right situation, he can still, I guess, maintain the value or at least maintain the production that he's shown so far, regardless of if he's running behind Pittsburgh's offensive line or if he winds up, winds up getting signed by the Jets. Hopefully Buffalo doesn't sign him. But, again, I still think that we can all agree that the talent is still there. And for the most part, I think when it comes to a running back and a running back of his talent, he should be able to overcome that situation or any situation that he gets put in. So that's my hope at the very least. But first, I hope he gets paid. Let's just leave it at that. Um, so the last situation that we're going to get into this evening, and of course it has to come down to me, uh, if you're in one of the worst possible situations for your dynasty team in that, yeah, things didn't really go your way, and in my case, things didn't really go my way. So one of the leagues that I'm in, Superflex League, um, I'm sitting at three and seven, things that haven't really worked out all that well. I guess I wanted to really go over real quick at least just the roster in and of itself in that, yeah, I've got, I've got some good players. Um, I've got, I've got Adam Thielen. Uh, I've got, well, I have Amari, but that hasn't really worked out. And, uh, I'm actually fairly thin at running back because I, I wound up, uh, with, uh, with Jordan Howard. So those are just a few of the players that I wanted to discuss in that, yeah, having those players and actually getting to, I guess, where I'm at right now currently, towards the beginning of the season, things were great. Uh, the team was clicking, but fairly thin at quarterback and also fairly thin at tight end. So trying to make some moves for some of these players in order to fill in some of these gaps that I've noticed in my team has really been my process or, I guess, my decision when it came to now understanding that I'm not going to make it to the playoffs there are things that I need to, or there are gaps that I've identified in my roster. So now it's, now we're in rebuild time. Now we're in trying to identify players or try and target other teams that might either, might be in situations like we discussed earlier where it's like, okay, well, if I'm looking for a team that's in Jeff's situation, that's, you know, shooing for the playoffs, probably going to take down the championship, but might be one piece away. What can I offer them in order to recoup some value and look into the 2019 season? Or even in somebody in Adam's position where they're in the six and four type of, type of situation. All right. Well, Amari Cooper starting to come on. What can I get for Amari Cooper if I wanted to sell him? So while I have identified players that still hold value for other teams and they might be interested in picking them up, it's making the decision at this point as to, all right, well, can I be realistic in one, the player's value and two, what I can, what I can get for them and trying to identify some of the teams that would be, I guess, willing to negotiate with me. And especially like what Jeff was alluding to earlier with saying that, okay, well, if I am going to try and look at those teams that are either a piece away or in those middling situations where they might be able to, they might want to use a player like what I have, then those would be the ones that I would try and start negotiating with in order to do that. So I think at least for right now, those two players that I uh, outlined earlier, uh, like Amari Cooper, sure, I might watch, I might try and uh, might try and move him and see if I can get anything for him. But uh, we'll see how that works out. And then, uh, and this is a question that I had for you guys. So, 
I did draft Adam Thielen onto this team, and we know that I mean he was I mean going bonkers throughout the beginning of the season. How do you guys value Adam Thielen moving forward? Because at least in my mind, my desire, I guess, or my like, uh, my objective was at least trying to have a wide receiver one. So in my thought, a wide receiver one has been at least in the past of you know an AJ Green, a Devonte Adams, uh, you know an Antonio Brown, somebody Julio Jones, someone in that area. Do you guys value Adam Thielen in that area or in that tier as any of those guys, given what he's done done this season, or should I be even looking to move Adam Thielen now and look for some of those players in that higher tier? So Adam Thielen, I think, is a guy that if you're not looking like you're likely to be super competitive next year especially is somebody that you're probably best off moving right now today and here's why first of all he's going to be 29 when the season starts next year which seems almost impossible i think this is only his fourth season fourth or yeah. fifth season mm-hmm. um, secondly uh, i just took a look at his adp over on dlf and he's the wide receiver nine right now and to that i say good luck getting that value in a trade I I, ju- I don't think most people are are going to pay you like he's a wide receiver nine. My suspicion is that in most leagues, whoever owns Adam Thielen values Adam Thielen the highest amongst everybody else in the league, and he's going to be hard to pry loose because they understand that uh, a white receiver that nobody's heard of can still be really good. You know, it, he was a he was a slow guy to adopt to, and those are the two reasons why. Um, it, it's just he doesn't fit the profile of an elite wide receiver in any way, except for production. And at the end of the day, in dynasty, very sadly, production is <laughs> secondary almost always to how good was he in college, how good was he when he came out, you know, how fast is whatever the things are. Where was he drafted is, at? When was yeah, he drafted? Production, production is fourth or fifth. As for players, and it takes so long. Think of how long it took T.Y. Hilton to get considered as a wide receiver one. You know, it, it takes a long time for guys, and especially if there's somebody nobody's ever heard of or isn't aware of. So Thielen is a guy that it's going to be tough to get fair value for him, especially as he gets older. So he has two things working against him. It's the perception that he's carried throughout his career until very recently, and his age. So you know, it, plus trading veterans, high-end veterans in the off-season is the most difficult time to trade them anyway. Try to trade Larry Fitzgerald last off-season as opposed to last November. You know, it's it's two totally different animals. You can even look specifically at his ADP and see the difference in value for guys like that. So if I'm you, I trade Adam Thielen now, even if it means giving up a little bit of value, which is something I'm loath to do. It, it, I just I don't think it's going to get better, even if he continues to do what he's doing now, which I fully expect him to do. Adam Thielen is the truth. He's oh, yeah. really good. Mm-hmm. He's also he's also the cheapest wide receiver one in Dynasty, which is all the more reason for a bad team to sell him now because he's not going to be worth more. His value isn't going up. By the way, I just looked. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald ADP. Last, um, let's see here. Well, I look at it in August. His ADP was 51. It's 156 right now. So right before the wow. season starts, when mm-hmm. veterans become worth something, mm-hmm. it's dropped. he's dropped in every month since then. Now we look to September of 2017, 84. 
His ADP in November of 2017, 123. It's predictable, man. It's predictable with these guys. And Thielen isn't there yet, but but he profiles as that kind of a guy, especially considering how many years does he really have left? I mean, it's easy to look at Antonio Brown and say this guy's going to do this forever, but we know that's not how it works. You looked at, at, at Brandon Marshall. I specifically remember writing about Brandon Marshall. This is a guy who doesn't win on separation. He doesn't win on speed. He wins on being physical. He wins on being technical. He wins on positioning and on getting his hands in the right spot and on catching the ball, and he hasn't done anything in three years. Uh-huh. You know, he, he is the exact kind of guy you would have expected to play well into his mid-30s, and he just didn't. And so you look at Antonio Brown. This is a guy who is as good technically as any receiver in the NFL. Um, he got so much speed to burn that he can lose a couple of tenths off of his 40 and still create separation that way. His hands are magnificent. He's great at the catch point. He looks like the kind of guy that could do it till he's 35. He looks like he could be Jerry Rice. But Jerry Rice doesn't happen. Like, there's a reason Jerry Rice is Jerry Rice, and there's no other Jerry Rices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy Moss didn't play deep into his 30s. Terrell Owens didn't play deep into his 30s. There's no guarantee for any of these guys that they're going to do it. And I'm not saying that you have to get rid of, of Antonio Brown and Julio Jones and A.J. Green and all those guys right now. But these are all guys that you know what's coming. You know what's coming. Sometimes it's fine to let him die in the vine. Larry Fitzgerald is a guy that you couldn't get enough value for for three years now. He's a guy that, that on all the teams that I own him, I still own him because you could never get enough to justify trading him considering the production he would bring your roster. And he's tanked this year totally okay with that. I'm totally at peace. I got two wide receiver one years out of a guy that I couldn't get a second round pick for three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you right now, which I'd rather have. And maybe Adam Thielen is that guy, but if you're on a bad team, that doesn't help you. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so that's, that's my concern with Adam Thielen. If you have a real good team, Adam Thielen probably just dies on your roster and you make your peace with that. And you get two or three more years of great production out of him. And then when he's done, he's done. And it is what it is. I don't buy this idea that you have to sell him for a second and let him win somebody else a title for a year, and then he falls off. I'm not interested in that. That, to me, looks like Adam Thielen's trajectory. And it's and it's nothing to do with Adam Thielen. It's everything to do with the perception of Adam Thielen. Mm-hmm. Chris, this may be the best practical application that we've ever had on this show, because when you started this conversation, I realized this is the team that we're in together. That's my Le'Veon Bell team that I almost talked about. And then I look, and my team is five and five, but I'm only one game back from the playoffs. And then I look at my roster, and it looks like I could use Adam Thielen. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe we'll be talking after this is over. Then (laughs) that's a practical application for you. But there we go. uh, I guess in beginning our trade talks. uh, Oh yeah, I, I think Adam Thielen is absolutely phenomenal and it's unfortunate because i wasn't doing dynasty things when i first saw him play and watching him he looked like he was going to be successful because of the way that he won he's very physical and he's very savvy so that is the type of player that could produce into their 30s but to jeff's point we try to pinpoint every single player that we think is going to do well into their 30s, and they never do. I can't explain it. I don't know why. I don't know why the three in front of any other number is so intimidating and, and why the wheels just fall off no matter how healthy these guys are. But I, I'm i not going to go against it. You know, 
very few situations would I be trading for Adam Thielen. I might in our league be in one of those situations. However, I think that he's definitely the type of player that you say this is the wide receiver one right now, and you trade him at, to someone who thinks similarly of him. But I'd be trying to get out. Not necessarily. I'm not even going to do Adam Thielen the disrespect of saying get out from under him. But as we always say, get the most value as you possibly can. You want every single player to get sold off your roster as close to the peak as you possibly can. I always compare it to playing blackjack and the peak of their value is 21. And you want to get as close as you can to 21 without going over, which is going back down the peak. So Adam Thielen would definitely be somebody that if I have a rebuild, yeah, necessarily your rebuild doesn't have to mean I'm three years out. But even if you want to produce next year, the chances that Adam Thielen is going to be this valuable next year, especially when he has a three in front of his age, very, very slim. If you can find a team that has a Calvin Ridley or a Cortland Sutton, I know those are guys that have come up a couple times now, and then has um, – I'm just trying to think of a – maybe like a Nick Chubb type of player. And you can and you can you can package like Thielen and maybe your your presumed high second for something that gets you back a guy like Chubb and a guy like Sutton in, in that sort of a package. So you're giving somebody immediate production, a solid draft pick, and you're getting back two guys that aren't sure things. But we've seen a decent amount from both of those guys at this point. Chris Godwin is another player. Mm-hmm. You know, guys that, that kind of fit into that mold. I'm not talking about taking like total leaps of faith on on whoever. Uh, I'm talking about guys that you've seen enough from. Those are the kind of deals that you should be targeting for somebody like Thielen. And, you know, there's a chance that the teams at the top of your standings have Calvin Ridley and Cortland Sutton because they were late first-round picks. Those are the kinds of guys that are absolutely perfect to target. I want to do one thing before I turn it over to you, Chris. I took a quick look at Adam Thielen out of curiosity. So the last two years have been the two years that have, you know, everybody's Adam Thielen's really good. 24 points per game this year, 15 last year, only 12.2 in 2016. But I did a quick little bit of math and I looked at points per touch or points per reception fantasy points per reception in PPR leagues. And he was 2.8 in 2016, 2.6 last year, 2.8 this year. This is a guy who's been really good for three straight years. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you are somebody that's out there and you're like Adam Thielen as a wide receiver, one top 10, this is a fluke. Uh-uh. He's, this is, this is what he's doing this year is the exact same thing he's done for three seasons now, except now he has 105 targets and in 2016 he only had 92 for the whole season. He's got 105 in nine games this year. That, yeah. that's, that's the difference with Adam Thielen. So, uh, the, he, Adam Thielen's pretty good. If you're, if you can get him at any kind of a discount and you're a top team, do it, man. I mean, again, be at peace with him dying on your roster. But do it. Like if you can get him cheaper than you can get Julio Jones, for the love of God, do it. If you can get him cheaper than you can Antonio Brown, like if I had to pick between who to acquire right now, Adam Thielen or Antonio Brown, it's Adam Thielen and it's not close because he's going to offer similar production. And he's going to be a what, seventy percent of the price? Most likely, yeah. That seems reasonable. With less wear and tear in the NFL on his body, by the way. Mm-hmm. Or whatever yeah. that's worth. And to answer the other question that I don't know what happens when guys get to be 30, it's absolutely injury. It's, it's, it might not be a torn ACL 
or whatever, but it's like the two missed games for a hamstring. Or it's it, it's the Jordy Nelson thing. It's the Brandon Marshall thing from the last few years. Right. Guys don't guys don't stop playing because they can't play. Guys stop playing because they're hurt. And you look at somebody like Frank Gore. He's thirty four or five now. He's still playing, and it's not because it's it's and it is because I'm sorry that he's just stayed healthy. He was hurt early in his career. He hasn't been hurt in like a decade, and he's still playing and still productive. But avoiding injuries in your mid thirties, man. I'm thirty nine, which isn't old. Objectively, not old. It is it is absolutely harder to get out of bed in the morning now than when I was 30 and I'm not getting tackled by 300 pound dudes. It, it's it, it, it like there is a clear difference between 30 and 35. Trust mm-hmm. me as somebody that's lived through that. So, uh I get it. I get it. Frank Gore is a freaking unicorn. Uh Jerry Rice was a unicorn. Those guys don't exist and you can't chase them. Just like anything else. It's just like uh, the the running back with amazing metrics that gets drafted in the fourth round, a Kalen Ballage or something. Everybody's like, oh, mm-hmm. this guy's going to be... You can't chase those guys. If you're overpaying for those guys consistently to try to get the one out of a thousand, I mean, good luck. Like, there's a reason Tom Brady always gets talked about as being a sixth-round pick. Because it's happened once ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I was um, all over the place there, guys. I'm all fired up. I know we got oh, you fired up. Yeah. All it took was an Adam Thielen discussion, well, and Le'Veon Bell, to, and then a, and, a, and then an Adam Thielen discussion to get you fired up. Yeah, but no, by that's, the way, I, I know there's an I, just another side here. I know there's like a IPA uh, American beer or American okay. lager discussion on this podcast, <laughs> and I need you to know that I very much like craft beers. I think IPAs are a joke. There's this weird contest, like who can make the bitterest beer that people can act is all cool and not bitter. So, but I'm, I'm more of a craft beer guy or I'm, I'm certainly less of an American lager guy, but special for the podcast, I got out of the shower. I was in the walk-in closet in the spacious mansion paid for by all the fantasy money from these leagues that I'm leading. (laughs) I'm very wealthy. And I thought, what shirt, like, what could I wear? What could I bring to this podcast? And I know that this is great radio for the people listening at home, but I just, I need to show the guys what I chose here. What have you got? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I got my hams. I got my hams beer t-shirt on. (laughs) I got my hams beer t-shirt on. So there you go. I have to let a secret out that I didn't even drink beer until I <laughs> knew that Chris drafts it himself, and then I was determined to troll him with my life. I know. <laughs> I, I I let a guy in my life, and this is what he does to me on a constant on a constant basis. Just, well, the first time that Chris and I met in person, um, he ruined it. I went to a bar that had no IPAs, and I didn't know that I was ruining Chris's entire life at the time. <laughs> Ruined, ruined my whole trip down to Baltimore. I, I came down to Baltimore to see Carl, to see Adam, and to have a nice IPA, and Adam completely ruined it. So, <laughs> the burger was great. I mean, I took him to a burger place. Oh, uh, the burger was good. I'm not going to lie. The burgers were good, but yeah. So, yeah um, but now I lost track. What were we talking about again? Perfect. That's my specialty. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Follow, follow, follow 444 at 444football.com. Most yep. definitely. Most definitely. You'll get some of my... <laughs> You get you get some of Jeff's takes and then uh, my my mediocre recommendations for quarterback streaming. That's where you'll find my work at. Uh, actually, a, a separate question. So uh, while we're talking about Adam Thielen and we're talking about I guess wide receivers that I think they I mean we definitely agree that Adam Thielen can produce. But I guess here's my general question: uh, 
who would you who do you guys value higher because at least to me and I'm trying to reconcile this in my head they're both on in the I guess fringe wide receiver wide receiver one conversation Adam Thielen or Mike Evans dynasty who do we value like like who do I have ranked higher yeah who would who do you value yeah who do you value greater um Boy, I probably should update my rankings. If I have to own one, I guess I'd rather own Thielen. Again, understanding he's going to die in my team. I'm mm-hmm. not a big Mike. I'm not a big Mike Evans hater. And one of the things I will say about Mike Evans that's really nice that you don't necessarily get with Adam Thielen is you got super insulated value with Mike Evans. I think he's. I think that's kind of been pretty proven over the last few years. Um, he's just a guy that kind of, even if he has his ups and downs, his value is his value, which is kind of that low end wide receiver one sort of territory. But yeah, I would rather have the super ultimate production of Adam Thielen, I think at this point, especially considering the cost, which I believe real world value Thielen is probably cheaper than Evans pretty much everywhere. Is bad. And that makes sense to me. And uh, I guess on a separate team uh, in a in a different dynasty league, I do have Mike Evans. And I think when we were talking to, I forget we had we had Tyler Guion from the F three Pod, I believe, a couple months back. And it was really when I was first trying to understand my roster and his construction and who I wanted to move. Uh, Mike Evans was one of the people that. I, I was just I wasn't all too comfortable having him as my wide receiver one, and if I could try and move him to try and pick up somebody different, at least that was at least part of, or at least one of my uh, one of the recommendations, one of the suggestions given to me. And yeah, I'm just not I'm not completely sold. So it was just, but I wasn't sure if he would be somebody that you guys would want to target, given he's what 25. He's 25, yeah. and he's been like very good in his career in mm-hmm. terms of production. But I think his value still outpaces his production a little bit. There's a couple of guys like that. I think Brandon Cooks might be kind of in that category as well. Guys that are really good, but that's kind of where it ends. I think a healthy Alshon Jeffrey is kind of in that category. Guys that are like 16 to 18 points per game, fringe wide receiver one production year after mm-hmm. year. Um, and a lot of times guys like that, like T.Y. Hilton, you know, when he was, you know, pre Andrew Lux injuries and stuff was kind of in that category. He was more undervalued for some reason. Some guys get over, you know what? Not for some reason. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It kind of comes down to what they were when they came out. Mm-hmm. And when Mike Evans came out, high first round pick, you know, and, and, and when Brandon Cooks came out, you know, the, the super crazy fast 40, he was a dynasty darling. And so those guys are like, wide you know fringe wide receiver ones and that's where they kind of fall very often adp but they're almost never acquirable at that cost especially Mm -hmm. because of their age and you just don't you don't get that with somebody like Thielen. he's 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 going to be cheaper despite probably being more productive so there you go yeah if you have to say who you rather i would rather have Thielen on my roster but i've got to redo my rankings this weekend and i'm sure that Thielen is going to rise considerably, but I probably can't really put him past Evans. Uh, the offense is not great. <laughs> Their coach is probably going to go. But if they could get the quarterback situation, sure, that would be phenomenal for Mike Evans' value. I think people are infatuated with the total package, and I kind of like to rank to where I would advise, where I personally 
would probably rather Thielen straight up. That might be something I would do, but I wouldn't necessarily advise everyone else to do that, especially because of the age, and we just talked about the receivers not making it past 30. Um, probably why Evans ends up ahead of Thielen. But depending on team situation, that's one of those things that could go both ways, and I would not fault anyone for making that deal. And <laughs> just on a side note, imagine saying that last year or – even more fun. Imagine saying it a year prior to that. Would you rather Mike Evans or Adam Thielen? <laughs> and, that, and that's why Adam Thielen's cheaper. That's why Adam yep, Thielen is exactly. cheaper, despite the fact that he's outscoring uh, outscoring Evans by like eight or nine points right now, which is an absurd. He's outscoring Evans by about the same amount that Evans is outscoring somebody like Nelson Aguilar. I mean, that's that's literally the gap. Yep. And that's that's so much. And mm-hmm. when you look at at the fact that e, the Thielen's per touch efficiency is the same as it's been for three years, it's hard to look at this and say, well, Thielen's not going to score twenty points a game next year. Like, I mean, and as long as he's healthy and seeing one hundred and fifty targets, why can he? And and why wouldn't he? Especially yep. with Kirk Cousins locked in there. Yeah. I, this the idea that that if you're still stuck on the Stefan Diggs is going to overtake Adam Thielen thing, you mm-hmm. need to stop that. Stefan Diggs, as a number one receiver on another team, I think is a 20 point per game guy. But as good as Stefan Diggs is, and I freaking love Stefan Diggs, he's not as good as Adam Thielen. The list of guys that are as good as Adam Thielen is like what you can count on one hand level stuff. And Stefan Diggs doesn't make that mm-hmm. as good as he is. Which is unfortunate because, yeah, I'm completely with you that I love Stefan Diggs, but in this offense, I mean, we're going to have, uh, he has to take a back seat to what Adam Thielen is doing on the field. And we've seen it week in and week out, if not this year, definitely, uh, definitely in 2017. So yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, so I think that'll wrap it up for this evening. Uh, Jeff, we thank you so much for coming on. I mean, we've had a lot of, I mean, fiery discussions this evening, if not from a, both a dynasty, but just from a real world football perspective. But before we get you on out of here, I mean, the floor is yours, sir. Whatever you've got for the folks listening at home tonight, parting shots before we get you out of here. Listen, tonight, uh, this podcast kind of encapsulated the way I run my personal Twitter account, which is maybe like 40% football and 60% anything but football. So uh, you can follow me at FFJeffM. Don't follow me just for football, please. I spout social takes. There's a little bit of political stuff. And there's a lot of hand-wringing and yelling about things like people hating on Le'Veon Bell. So uh, I have a little bit of a unique deal there. The 4 for 4 football account, on the other hand, is all about football at 4for4football.com. We tweet articles. I try to try to have some fun with that, song lyrics and rhyminess and nonsense. And, and we give stuff away. And sometimes, especially late at night when I'm working on some tweets for the next day. I'll do some quick Q and A sessions. I try. I try to make that account. Um, you know, it's a corporate account. We're trying to stay professional and, and to tweet the things that we need to tweet, but also try to have some fun with it and bring a little extra value for people. So uh, please follow us there. Feel free to say hi to me. Uh, I reply to pretty much everything. And uh, you theoretically can read me on Dynasty League Football. I haven't done anything there during the season this year. I've been kind of busy with the new responsibilities over at 4 for 4, where I write the weekly waiver wire article called Waiver Wire Watch. It comes out uh, late morning, early afternoon, Monday, depending what time zone you are. 
uh, and depending on how late I was up the night before writing it, 3,500 words after the game finish on Sunday night and before I go to bed is a bit of a slog. Uh, it requires a lot of research, and I'm very much the kind of guy that starts things at 11 o'clock at night. So uh, it's it's a lot of work, but I have fun with that too. So I get a little personality in there. So yeah, I don't know how you get that stuff out so quickly. Like when it's because I stay up till three or four in the morning. Oh, that'll do it. Okay, I stay I stayed up till five this week. I mean, I work for myself, so I have a little bit of extra freedom. And if I st- if I was smart and like started it right after the early games and did it during the late games or just did it after the late games and did it during Sunday night football, I'd probably go to bed by like one, but yeah. that's not really how I operate. And, Cause I'm, uh, I'm working on each week's streaming column during the uh, Sunday night game. And then yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll finish half of it and then be done with it. Like by the time the game's over. So I'm in bed by midnight, one o'clock, but yeah, your article is already out and ready to go by the time. <laughs> I was like, Dude, how the hell does it, he do that? It takes five or six hours to write. It's not just the writing part is quick, but it's the research. Like I'm yeah. digging and, and then the next morning, then I go and dig through like airyards.com and I dig through our snap app on four for four and I dig through like updated fantasy standings and stuff like that. And then I go back and add a lot of the stats. And sometimes I find that the thing that I write isn't as accurate as I thought it was in terms of my perception of what occurred because then I like look at the data and I'm like, I missed on that one. And then I have to fix it or rewrite it or add a player that I didn't think should belong or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's a labor of love, but. I have I genuinely have a ton of fun doing it and uh, getting kind of involved with the 4 for 4 crew. I'm so blessed. 4 for 4 is amazing. Everybody there is amazing. DLF has been amazing to me. Uh, the partners there are fantastic guys. They've been real understanding that I haven't done any writing because I've been doing the 4 for 4 thing. So I've, I've been real fortunate. All the sites that I've written for throughout all of my career, Sportable with Sal and and number fire with JJ, I've been real blessed to kind of get locked in with some good people. So I, it, that can kind of continues on this season. Yep. And my, my hope is the same. I've definitely enjoyed working with all the crew over at, over at four for four and uh, really had a blast this past season working, working with them. So yourself included, especially. So I think it's been, it's been very entertaining and very eye opening because yeah, the stuff I've been able to, the, the data that I've been able to play with, whether it's been through Herms's air yard stuff or any of the stuff that, uh, with, in terms of DFS that TJ has been, have been putting out year after year. I mean, it's just been, it's been amazing. It really has. So thanks again for your time, Jeff and Adam, before we get on out of here. Do you have anything for the folks before we sign off for tonight? Nah, I've just been listening or reading, Jeff, since I started Dynasty Football. Great to have you on, man. We really appreciate you coming on, and this was a fun episode. This is another one of the no-show sheet episodes that we love so much to produce because we just get to talk forever and ever, and there's no secret uh, – sheet telling us what to do so i have so much fun with these man and that's why we get to go and love you on bell tangents uh, <laughs> i hope you guys enjoy uh you can find me at dhh underscore adam and you can also find us at dynasty pregame on youtube if you want to watch us um and then listen to us on stitcher and itunes we uh, we love any reviews that you might give us and then also check out debbie owner's manual a little branch off our podcast with uh dwight peoples and andrew harbaugh they're doing a great job 
All right, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, check those guys out on the on the Devi podcast for sure. And uh, with that, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this evening. And again, I'm Chris Allen. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. And we thanks everybody for coming out tonight. And we'll catch you guys next week. Dynasty, it's automatic, owner's manual.